the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now think about that for a moment. It's easy to just say, oh, sure, they were teaching them. There's only 12 apostles, there are over three thousand people as someone has said there must have been nights when these men fell into bed thinking that they could never utter another word 12 of them were responsible to teach over 3,000 people it takes a lot of work to teach a group of people what they need to know for faith and practice in the christian life and it doesn't really matter if we were talking about 30 people or 3,000 people maybe that's why the teaching in so many churches stays pretty superficial Our goal here at Verse by Verse Radio is to systematically teach the truth of the Word of God in a clear and consistent way. This is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, a church that is also dedicated to teaching the Bible verse by verse. We feel like this is the priority that God commanded us when he said, teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you. Our Bible teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Let's listen now as he brings us today's message. So now what are they supposed to do? Now what are the apostles supposed to do? I mean, how are you supposed to, how are they supposed to minister to all of these people? Now that so many people have come to Christ, and what a thrilling thing that that was, 3,000 call upon the name of the Lord to to be saved. What do you do with 3,000 new believers? You do exactly what Jesus told you to do in the Great Commission just a few weeks earlier. You help them to become Healthy, mature disciples. You help these new disciples to grow in Christ. And how do you do that? You follow the Great Commission. You baptize them. And as they they make a public confession of their faith in Christ, and then you begin to systematically teach them everything that the Lord commanded you. That's the Great Commission. That's exactly what Jesus said to do. And that's exactly what they did. Because we read in verse 42, after baptizing all of these folks, here's what happened. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, essentially what this means is that these new believers were continually being taught the word of God by the apostles. But what were the apostles teaching them? Well, they were teaching them the very truths that Jesus had taught them during his three-year ministry with them. Now, you might wonder, well, how do they remember all of this? There are a lot of things that Jesus said. Let me show you how they remembered this. Go back, if you will, to John chapter 14, verse 26. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had taught his disciples a little bit about what was coming. And he said in John 14, verse 26, but the helper... He explains who that is, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And this is where it comes into place. The Holy Spirit brought to their minds perfectly with an infallible remembrance of all that Jesus had taught them. I mean, these men didn't have perfect memories. They were like you and me. We don't remember everything that happened over a three-week period of time. Some of us can't remember what happened yesterday. But the Holy Spirit brought to their minds exactly what Jesus had taught them. Then we also read in John chapter 16 that they were teaching them new things that Jesus had not told them about. John 16, verses 13 and 14 says this, Jesus speaking to them again, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Not not just what I told you, but all that, that you need to know and tell others. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. They taught new truth that Jesus had never taught them, and they especially were taught by the Holy Spirit and taught to the congregation prophecy, prophetic truth that Jesus had not told them about things to come. Though he told them some things, the Holy Spirit revealed more to them. And so understand this, that when the church was formed, the apostles started teaching And what they verbally taught the church at Jerusalem, eventually they wrote down. Not right away, but eventually they wrote down what they were teaching this church. And these writings by the apostles formed the inspired writings of the New Testament. But here in Jerusalem, they were verbally teaching this to the people. Eventually they came into a more permanent form that was written down. It's what we know as the New Testament. But... What I find interesting about this, this new church continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine is this. The apostles did not emphasize experience over Bible teaching. Now, the reason I say this is interesting because, as you'll recall, the apostles had just experienced something very exciting in the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, he didn't just come. He came and gave them the miraculous ability to speak in foreign languages. We call them tongues, but I do not believe there were ecstatic utterances because we read in in chapter 2, and you can read it on your own, the first few verses of chapter 2, that those around them heard them speak in their own language. So tongues means foreign languages that they had never been taught. They had the ability... To speak, and, and that was a, a miracle, and that's remarkable. But what I find so amazing about this is that instead of trying to recapture this Holy Spirit-induced thrilling experience, the apostles instead chose to focus on teaching the church sound doctrine, not telling them to pursue their experience. Here's how James Montgomery Boyce described the actions of the apostles. He wrote, It could have been a temptation for the early believers to look back to Pentecost and focus on the past. They might have remembered the way the Holy Spirit came and how he used them to speak so that those in Jerusalem each heard them in his own native language. They might have longed to experience something like that again. They might have been praying, Lord, please do something miraculous again. But this is not what we find. They are not reveling in past experiences. Instead, we find them reveling in the Word of God. 
And reveling in the word is exactly what they were doing. According to what Luke tells us here in Acts chapter 2, these new believers were continually focused on learning the truths of God's word from the apostles. And the apostles were focused in a single-minded, ongoing, devotion, commitment way to teach the people. Now, think about that for a moment. It's easy to just say, oh, sure, they were teaching them. There's only 12 apostles. There are over 3,000 people. As someone has said, there must have been nights when these men fell into bed thinking that they could never utter another word. Twelve of them were responsible to teach over 3,000 people. But regardless of how difficult and time-consuming and enormous this task was of, of teaching thousands of, of new converts, not, not polished, mature believers, new converts. Even though it was tough, they didn't shirk their responsibility. These men continually carried out, the apostles did, this ongoing work of Bible teaching. And they took this charge so seriously that, you know what, they wouldn't even leave it to do something as important as physically caring widows. You go back to Acts chapter 6, which we read before about how the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked and the Hebrew-speaking widows were not. Notice their response. I mean, that's a serious thing. And they understood the importance of taking care of widows. But notice what they said in verse 2. So the 12, that's the 12 apostles, they summoned the congregation of the disciples. So they summoned everybody. Now over 3,000. And they're probably a bit over 3,000 now because days have passed and, and perhaps even weeks, and so it's multiplied. And here's what they said. It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Now, they weren't saying that serving tables wasn't important. It's just not what they were called to do. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is probably where the office of a deacon got started. They said, select some men who can carry out this, but we're not going to leave the word of God and the ministry of prayer to focus on the task of serving widows. Others can do that. So understand, these men, these apostles were unbending. They were inflexible, not even the care of dear widows could get them away from the teaching of the Word of God. So they had a commitment, folks, to teach the Word of God. They did not teach personal experience. They did not emphasize that. They taught the Word. Why? Because they understood, even though they were new and inexperienced at being local church pastors, and that's what they essentially were here, they became the pastors of this church these apostles understood that biblical instruction and, and not some emotional buzz kind of an experience, biblical instruction is foundational to the growth and spiritual health of God's people. That was their commitment. And as long as the apostles were around, all the churches that they influenced were committed to the word of God. You, you want to know their hearts? First Peter, I love this. First Peter chapter 2. This is Peter's heart. He says, therefore, in verse 1, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy, all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it 
you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. He says, if you've tasted salvation, if you've experienced the grace of God and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, now long for the pure milk of the word as a baby longs for its mama's milk. Have that kind of of desire and that's the way you grow spiritually. Not by personal emotional experience. It is by the word of God. Listen, if you want to understand Lakeside Community Chapel, then you have to know that as a church, we are committed to teaching the Bible because there is no other way to help you to grow spiritually. See, in spite of the many wonderful activities that that local churches may carry on, there is no substitute for the straightforward exposition of Scripture because nothing else will help you to grow in Christ-like character more than understanding and applying and implementing the Word of God in your life. And that's, folks, what we're talking about. When we speak of spiritual growth, we're talking about growing in, in character like Jesus Christ, becoming more like, like Him in character, in integrity, in righteousness, in, in kindness, in compassion, in love, in wisdom. It, that's what spiritual growth is. Nothing does that like the Word of God, teaching it, and not only teaching it, but you applying it and implementing in your life. It doesn't really help you if you hear the Word and do nothing with the Word. That's why James says don't simply be a doer of the Word, or a hearer of the Word, rather, be a doer of the Word. This is why as the early church grew and they spread and developed, we read in the New Testament, they never departed from the priority of teaching the Word of God, at least as long as the apostles lived I mean, the church deviated from that once the apostles began to die off. That's because they went in the wrong direction. But while the apostles were alive, their priority was making sure the word of God was taught. Let me show you this. You look at Titus chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me say this. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the apostle Paul presents about 20 qualifications for elders. Elders are pastors. And what he does in this, one of the qualifications he says is that all elders are to be able to teach, meaning that they all have to be gifted to be teachers, not just the guy in the pulpit on Sunday, not just the pastor teacher. They must be apt to teach the congregation. First Timothy 3, 2 says that exactly. An elder must be able to teach. Titus 1, verse 9, expands on that. Remember, talking about all elders, not just a man who's been to Bible school or seminary and is now in the pulpit, all elders. He says this, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict It means that all elders need to know the word well enough and be apt to teach well enough that they can refute error and build up believers in sound doctrine. Paul also told Timothy that while he, meaning Paul, was away from the church at Ephesus, he stationed Timothy there, and Timothy had one primary responsibility, and that was to carry out the public teaching of the word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13 says this, Until I come, meaning until I get back to you, Timothy, of all the things I want you to do, this is it. 
until I return, give attention or devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Until I return, Timothy, I want you to get up in front of the people. I want you to read the passage of Scripture. I want you to explain it by teaching, and I want you to exhort the people to obey it. That's what I want you to do. Now, I also want you to notice something very interesting about the early church and the importance that the early church put upon public teaching and instruction in the Word. Apparently, at the church at Ephesus, where, as I just told you, Timothy was stationed, Paul had had left him there for the time being, and he had gone away. Timothy was there. But apparently there were certain women in the congregation who took a leadership role in the church, wrongfully so. And on Sundays, they were teaching the congregation, which included men. So they were teaching men in the Sunday services. Paul forbids that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He forbids it. In the context of what he is doing is he's talking about how the church is to conduct itself on Sunday. He forbids women from teaching men because that's a role of authority and God has ordained men to be in the role of authority. But I want you to notice that instead of just forbidding the women to teach men, Paul tells the women what they ought to be doing. It's not simply a negative. It's a negative and a positive. Here's what I want you to do. Notice 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, what I want you to see is that Paul states that when the church gathers on Sunday, Bible instruction is to be a key element in the church service. That's the only way you can interpret this when you read that women are to receive instruction. It means that the women are to join the congregation and just sit there and learn. It's not their role to teach, but learn. Now, what that tells us is that the early church, when they gathered, and we don't know all the elements of the early church's services, what they, what they did, but we do understand from this that when they gathered, Bible instruction was a key element in the church service. So, you put this together and you say this. Based on the fact that the church at Jerusalem devoted themselves to the teaching of Scripture, because the apostles did that, that was their priority, and that Paul in his letters placed great, great emphasis on leaders in ministry teaching God's Word, and that the church services of the early believers included Bible instruction, the only thing we can conclude is that any church that wants to pattern itself after a New Testament era church must make Bible teaching a priority. It's not something we've come up with. It's something the Bible says we're to do. But here's what I want you to understand about Lakeside. And in our view of Bible teaching, when we speak of a commitment to teaching God's Word, we mean a commitment to teaching the whole counsel of God. Not simply limiting ourselves to to a few pet topics that everybody enjoys hearing and that doesn't really challenge us or stretch us to learn of new truth. Jesus said in the Great Commission that we are to teach all that He has commanded. Not part of it. Not just a few topics. All that he commanded. 
Paul told Timothy that all Scripture was inspired and profitable. And by all, he means every word of Scripture. From the moment you open Genesis and the first verse in the beginning to when you close the book of Revelation, all of that, all the words are inspired by God, meaning they are God-breathed out. It's my observation, though, that many churches that doctrinally believe that, they believe that the Bible is the Word of God, they would fight for their belief that every word is inspired and, and profitable. But some, though, though believing that, don't make it a priority to teach it, to teach every word of Scripture. That is not the case at Lakeside. We believe not only in the pulpit, but in all facets of our teaching ministry. We believe in verse-by-verse Bible teaching because that is eventually how the whole counsel of God is taught. God gave it like that. That is how you teach the counsel of God. Eventually, you proclaim it all. And you know what? That is only to your benefit. It's not just the style that we embrace. That's to your benefit because when you hear the whole counsel of God, you are prevented from becoming unbalanced in your understanding of truth. I've said this a number of times. I'll say it again. Someone has so rightly said that truth out of balance leads to heresy. Truth out of balance leads to heresy. So, for example, when you hear teaching on, let's say, the sovereignty of God and, and election and predestination, you also hear Bible teaching that says that we have a, a responsibility to present the gospel to the lost and to pray and to do our job. And that we're not relieved of human responsibility just because God is sovereign. That keeps you from being unbalanced. When you, for example, hear truths uh, in Scripture that God is a God of, of wrath and he punishes those who have rejected Christ, you also hear that God is a God of mercy and grace. And you hear the balance. And that's the way the Word of God is to be taught so that you don't become unbalanced in any one area and go off on an extreme that Scripture does not teach. Now, being committed to a verse-by-verse study of the Word of God also means that we don't avoid teaching certain doctrines and truths, even if they are controversial. Over the years, we teach the whole council, and uh, you may not have received any criticism, but I have on certain things, and that's, and that's okay. We don't back down from teaching the Word because it might be controversial. It also means that we don't water down certain Bible truths in order to avoid controversy. And I love, I love the passage that affirms that we're not to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is really my hero in ministry and is a man that... If I say I have tried to model my life and ministry after, from a human standpoint after Jesus, it would be Paul. I love Paul. I love his approach to ministry. I love his courage, his love, his balance, his tenacity. Notice what he said to the Corinthians who were criticizing his ministry, by the way. He said in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. We're not discouraged, he said. And here he opens his heart and he explains a little bit about his ministry. He said, we have renounced the the things hidden because of shame. Some were saying Paul is a shameful man. 
Paul does things in private that are wrong, and he's saying, no, no, we renounce that stuff. We don't do that. He said not walking in craftiness. Some had accused Paul of being deceitful and just being in it for the money. He said, we don't do that either. And then he said, nor do we, in the next phrase, is adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, we do not adulterate the word of God. What does it mean to adulterate the word of God? This word adulterate was used in ancient Greek literature of pouring some water into wine in order to dilute it. Paul said, when it comes to the word of God, we don't dilute it so that we rob it of its strength and potency. That is to say that when Paul taught the word of God, he did not take the hard edge off of doctrine. He didn't take the hard edge off of doctrine so that it would be appealing to people, so that people would be comfortable with it, so, so he wouldn't alienate anyone. We believe that the Word of God is sufficient for everything. We always try to let the Word of God speak for itself. It's amazing how often God puts his finger on exactly what we need to hear without any need to twist the meaning to fit the context that we find ourselves in. We are so blessed to have you listening today. All our messages are available for listening and download at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Call us at 727-239-0306 if you have any questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.